Welcome to the Axe 13 Network Podcast. My name is Dan Rose, and I am the lead troublemaker here at the Axe 13 Network. We're glad you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us. What can you expect from this podcast? Well, hopefully, you will walk away from it learning to love well. That's our heart, that's our hope, that's our desire. We want to try to help people love well by hearing the words of Jesus, learning the works of Jesus, and following in the way of Jesus. So let's get on to this week's episode. All right, we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts. Uh, so remember where we were last week? We had that super weird passage about, uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira dying, you know, because they didn't give their money, right? So I, you know, was trying to convince you to make sure you give all your money, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, the, although the passage is weird, and yes, Ananias and Sapphira did die. I uh, remember the point of last week was talking more about how we have freedom. And so uh, we, have, we have freedom in Christ to respond to, uh, the, to the Spirit at work in us. And that's, that was really the, the point of, of what was going on in uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, this idea of, 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 of having freedom and responding to grace freely. So if that was a snapshot of what was going on inside of the church, we also now get a picture here in the rest of Acts chapter 5 of what was going on outside of the church. How was how were the early Christians being received, right? So we're going to spend some time here uh, in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. Once again, uh, Luke was not very thoughtful towards us modern-day preachers who really like to have just a couple of verses to, to preach on. He, he didn't keep things in bite-sized chunks. Nope, my man went all out. Uh, big stories. He was a great storyteller, so we are going to spend some time uh, today uh, looking at these 30 verses together. This is what it says. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about the new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. 
So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in, his, in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to, this, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is God's word. Wow, there's so much stuff here. So many things uh, for us to talk about. So we're going to keep it we're going to keep it at a high level. Uh, otherwise, we'd be here for hours and hours. So, you know, first, like, it it is re- it is remarkable, isn't it? Verses 12 through 16. And what, a, what a beautiful thing that we see happening here where we have, you have, there, you have people coming from all walks of life to be healed and finding healing and experiencing healing by the apostles. There was so much power apparently emanating from them that even just by bringing someone into Peter's shadow, they would be, they would be saved. This is, this is absolutely a beautiful and remarkable thing. And it's, and it's, notice that it's, it is people from the fringes. It is people who are on the outside looking in. This was not the, the mighty, the rich. This, this was truly people who were out there and who were, who were on the outside looking in coming to be healed and then you know they get to go be a part of the of the broader community it, it is it is remarkable and beautiful but then what happens verse 17 the high priest and all his associates 
who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. That green-eyed monster of jealousy rears its ugly head. And you know, we, we, we read this and we might think, oh, this is, this is an ancient people's problem, right? But it's not. Jealousy is everywhere. We struggle with jealousy constantly, don't we? Don't we always, don't we struggle with it? Don't we see it uh, in our own lives? I mean, let's, let, I was thinking about this idea of jealousy and these, these leaders, these high priests being jealous. And I've thought about the number of times that I have been in meetings with other pastors, meetings where we gather together and we talk about, or we're talking about our town, we're talking about our city, we're, um, we're praying for it, we're sharing with one another what we're doing so we can encourage each other and all that kind of stuff. And, it's, and it is this wonderful gathering right up until a new church shows up. Right up until someone shows up in our town to plant a new church, to start a new work. And then what, what, are we, what is our response? Don't they know that God is already here working? Why do we need another church? You see, because what happens so often when, when new churches come into towns like ours is that they're doing things a little bit differently. They uh, might have a little bit cooler vibe. They might have a little bit younger pastor. They might have a little bit better worship band. They're doing things maybe with a little more excellence than uh, what we're doing because we have, we have our people, we have our community, and we're not, you know, just trying to like kick it up a notch all the time. But this new community is, and they've got money that they're spending just for advertising, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, some of our folks start to go to the new place. They start to go to the new church. They, they, and what is our response? Our response is jealousy and anger and frustration. You know, this was, this was so often the response in those pastor's meetings where we, you know, why are they doing this? Why do they have to keep coming here? Aren't there other places they can go? Don't they know that God is already at work? We don't need another church in this town. And yet there are people who are still not connected to a faith community, people who are, you know, who who for whatever reason haven't resonated with or haven't connected with the existing church structures and churches that are here. And so, you know, maybe we do need another town church. Maybe we do need, uh, you know, another another voice here that's going to connect with others. But we get jealous. And not just churches, but businesses. I mean, you know, we live in, I live in a small town. And I, I'm, I am aware of some of the back office dealings that take place when new businesses, you know, show up in a particular part of town. And uh, if they start taking away some of the customers or clientele from some of these some of the, the, the businesses that have been in town for, for years and years and decades, what do they do? They make a few calls, you know? They make a few calls to City Hall. Hey, let's, let's hold off their certification. Hey, can you make it just a little bit more difficult on them? Hey, like they, they do some things to make it hard. Why? 
because of jealousy. You see, so often when we read when we read this story, when we read the story of you know the apostles preaching Jesus in the temple and healing people, we naturally gravitate towards seeing ourselves as the apostles, right? To seeing ourselves with them, it, which makes total sense because there are people. This is our story. This is the story of of us, right? This is the none of us who say we follow Jesus would be following Jesus if it weren't for these guys. If these guys hadn't been faithful, if these guys hadn't looked at the religious leaders of their day and said, who should we listen to, men or God? Well, they chose God, and as a result, we are sitting here today knowing about grace and love and mercy and being accepted by by the divine, and it is wonderful and it is beautiful. And yet, if you look at the world today, and you look at the way this world is structured today, most of us who are Christians, especially those of us who are white upper middle class Christians, we probably share way more in common with the high priests in the Sanhedrin than we do with the apostles. The apostles were guys on the fringe. They were guys on the edge. They were They were people who were not at the center of society and culture and power, and yet, you know, we want to try to identify ourselves with them? Man, no, we sit in the seats of the Sanhedrin. We are the religious authority. We are the religious elite. We are the ones who for decades in our nation have overseen the religious life of of the people. So let's make no mistake here. The, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they aren't necessarily these super evil people. They were people who for, for hundreds of years had been tasked with overseeing the people of God, caring for the people of God, caring for the temple, caring for the worship, overseeing all of that, helping facilitate people connecting with God. That, that's, what, that's what the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin were, were doing, right? So they weren't they weren't, they're not these boogeymen that we sometimes make them out to be. And they certainly, they certainly weren't, I don't think they were necessarily trying to do evil or, or whatever just for the sake of doing evil. I think what, just like Luke said, they were motivated by jealousy. Just like, just like we are when a new church shows up. We're motivated by jealousy. They were responding out of jealousy. And so out of their jealousy, what did they want to do? They wanted to shut this thing down. They wanted to close it down. They wanted to keep the people away from them. Even though, what were the apostles doing? The apostles were doing good and beautiful things. They were healing people. They were healing the sick. They were healing the the people with broken bodies. They were healing the people who had impure spirits. They were reaching and connecting those people on the far fringes of their society and in their culture and in their community and bringing them back in fully. They were doing the good and beautiful work of the gospel. And, and, yet, and yet, because the crowds, the crowds were so on board with them that the, that the Sanhedrin got jealous. The religious authorities got jealous. They were so worried about uh, about the masses, about the mob, that even when they went to go arrest them the second time, 
you know, it says they did not use force because they were afraid they'd be stoned. Right? So the apostles were wildly popular amongst amongst the community, amongst the 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 the, the normal everyday workaday people in their society. And the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were worried. They were worried that they were corrupting them. They were worried that these apostles, even though what it looked to be beautiful and good work, were somehow uh, pulling them away from, from God. So let's think about ourselves for a minute. I mean, if we saw people who, who claimed to be doing good, who it, it seemed like they were doing good, and yet they were, they were reaching out and connecting with people who we thought were ew, icky, and ugly, what might our response be? Our response might be to try to get them to stop. Or, if we, and if we saw them gaining a lot of popularity, we might be jealous. You see, again, we probably connect way more as, as modern American Christians, and especially those of us who are white evangelical Christians, we probably connect way more directly with the, with the Sanhedrin than we do with the apostles. So you have this wise man, this wise man named Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee, teacher of the law, well-respected by everybody. We learn later on that he was the one who taught the apostle Paul everything he knew. And he shows up with some wisdom. He brings this great wisdom to the people and to, to the Sanhedrin. He says, hey, here's the deal. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, y'all need to chill out. Y'all need to chill out. That is basically what Gamaliel is saying. He's like, don't get your togas in a bunch. Because if because here's the thing. We believe that God is, is the sovereign and good God. We believe that God is at work in the lives of people. And so if this is a work of God, then there is nothing that we can do that will stop it. If there's not something that is a work of God, then guess what? It is going to fade away and go away, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Because we, 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 just, we just don't have to, we don't have to get stressed out. If it's not of God, it's going to go away. It's going to dissipate. Gamaliel uh, is kind of the guy maybe who coined the phrase, let go and let God. Maybe that was on his like t-shirt, uh, you know. Um, but the, the Sanhedrin heard him and responded and said, yeah, you know, that makes sense. That seems like wisdom. Because the reality is, is, is that's just true. If we look around and if we see things that are happening out in our world where we see good and beautiful and kind and loving things happening, then and, and they're being done in ways or by people that we don't like or, or you know we, we find icky and ewy and ugly, then we have a choice to make. We can choose to see what God is going to do. We can respond in grace by saying, ah, all right, this looks good and beautiful. Let's see what happens. If it's of God, it is going to continue and it will be wonderful. If it is not 
of God, then it is going to disappear. It is going to burn off like like the mist on a sunny morning. That's a choice that we have to make. Will we respond in jealousy or will we respond in grace? And Gamaliel says, respond in grace. Respond in the way of love. Because here's the thing. If we are looking around the world and we see we see good and beautiful things, we see what appears to be love, and we respond in grace, and we find ourselves walking in the way of love, and, and, and then oft, more times than not, friends, we are going we are going to be in the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus is the way of love. And isn't that what we want to be about? Don't we want to be following in his way? Don't we want to be seeking out that narrow gate, that narrow way of Jesus that is so hard to find because, because to find love and to live to live in love on a consistent basis is so difficult. It is so hard. And, and it's just so easy often that we miss it. And maybe we miss it because so often we are driven by jealousy in the same way that the Sanhedrin was. So let us listen to the words of Gamaliel. Let us, let us, let us respond in grace saying, yeah, let's see if this is of God. Let's see if this is of God. If this is of God, let's get on board with it because we can't stop it anyway. Let's go with it because then we're with God. And if it's not of God, then, then it's going to stop. It's going to end. It's going to dissipate. It's going to disappear. So, so will we respond in grace to a world that, that we're watching, to the world that we see? Now, the other thing that I, that I want to bring out in this passage that I think is important is this phrase, uh, house to house. In verse 42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the house to house thing is not your Jehovah's Witness deal. It's not the old school Baptist deal where they were going and they were knocking with their tract and saying, have you met Jesus? That is not what they were doing. No, they were inviting people into homes. They were sitting around tables eating dinner together, doing life together, and proclaiming the good news and sharing the gospel with one another and with those who were outside of the community of faith. But they were doing so in one another's homes, in uh, around one another's tables. And so the thing that we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we inviting others into our homes? And are we saying yes when we are invited into other people's homes? I know this might be, feel like a bit of a resounding gong at times because it, I feel like I say it all the time, but when we look at the early church, so much was being done through, through the, the eating of meals and, and, and having conversations around tables. You know, it's interesting, as I, even as I think about this jealousy thing from, from the beginning of this, I think one way that we can that we can eliminate some of the jealousy from our lives is just getting to know our neighbors because then we are much less likely to be jealous of them if we, if, we're, if we count them as friends because we are less jealous of friends than we are of strangers. So, so by getting people around the dinner table together and, and building relationship with one another and doing life one another, with one another, what it does is it protects us from becoming like the Sanhedrin. It protects us 
from being separated and disconnected from the broad, from our broader neighborhood, from our city, from our towns, from, from our communities, if we are inviting people in around our dinner table. So I want you to ask yourself, I want you to do some, do some soul searching this week. Take a look. What is it? How are you, how are you doing in responding to things? Are you responding in grace by saying, yeah, if it is of God, I can't stop it. So I'm not going to worry about it. If it's not of God, it's going to disappear. So I'm not going to worry about it. Are you responding in grace? And then secondly, how are you doing with just having people in your home, around your table, eating dinner together? Are you doing life? Are you doing life with your neighbors? Are you doing life with your coworkers? Are you sitting around having meals together, inviting them into your home? And when they invite you, are you saying yes? How are you doing? Take a look at your calendar. How are you doing with it? So uh, those, those are a couple of things I want you to think about, a couple of things I want you to wrestle with. And uh, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks again that Jesus shows us a different way. Um, he calls us not into the way of jealousy, but he calls us in a way of freedom where we can look at the world and we can say, you know, this is of you or this is not of you. And if it is of you, then, then we're not going to be able to stop. And if it's not of you, it is going to disappear. So either way, we don't stress. We don't have to worry. And, that, and I pray that we would be a people that are doing life with others, inviting them into our, into our kitchens and having dinner and lunch together and breakfast together, whatever it might be, but that we would be a people deeply connected with one another and with those in our neighborhood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.